0: Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Hello, everybody. It is John Pollock and Phil Chertok, and welcome to the UFC 268 post-show following the rematch between Kamaro Usman and Colby Covington. Hello, Phil. Happy Daylight Savings Time as we are speaking at almost 2 in the morning, which will revert back, so it's almost going to be 1 in the morning. We are gaining an hour, so worked out well, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it, it's like we're traveling back in time
1: exactly almost exactly.
0: almost like we traveled back in time to the last big event in Madison Square Garden or the last big fight between Kamaru Usman and uh, Colby Covington
1: uh it probably was the last time Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington will fight don't you think oh i i'm
0: pretty sure i mean it's kind of as good as it was uh hard to justify any more rounds at this point
1: so this was the UFC's big return to Madison Square Garden uh a venue that uh, earlier this week Dana White had stated would be the fourth largest gate in the history of Madison Square Garden. Take that, New York Rangers, concerts, <laughs> everything. Fourth largest gate ever in MSG history. And it was built around this rematch between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington, as well as a rematch between Rose Nama Yunus and Zheng, Zheng Wai Li. But man, we also got... I think the consensus fight of the year Phil is that is that guaranteed after November the 6th of 2021.
0: I mean fight of this year, last year, next year, many years to come. This is this is one of those fights that's just going to be remembered, you know, when you when you get a new fan, somebody comes up to you and says, "Hey, I've started to get into the UFC. Like, you got to go watch this fight between Chandler and Gaethje." Th-
1: this card was I mean the fights were so good that I can't even like throw out like a sarcastic uh, response to you of alluding to a different fight than the one that we are talking about (laughs) between Justin Gaethje and uh, I'm and Michael Chandler. This was to me an all time classic fight. I think regardless of this year, I would say this is like an all timer that we saw like this to me will replace uh, Michael Chandler's place where I think many people have just put his Eddie Alvarez fights on kind of the pedestal of his resume. I think this just from the sheer reach that this card is going to have in comparison and quite honestly, uh, of the level of quality that this is going to go down as the greatest fight of Chandler's career. And I don't, Gaethje has an interesting discussion of greatest fight of his career, but uh, this is going to be one of them that is discussed for sure.
0: Yeah. That, uh, Alvarez fight was something special, especially because it was, it was the same night as Dan Henderson versus Shogun Hua, I believe. Yes. Or it was, so yep. it was just like a night of ridiculous fights. Um, But this one was, uh, you know, I mean, we're sort of riding high on it, but there's no doubt that it was incredible. And, and like, right from the get go, these guys were firing. There was so many dramatic moments. It could have been over so many times. I mean, I. May, why don't we just start there, John? Why don't you go through that one? Because yeah, uh, we, we can absolutely uh,
1: jump in there. Let's go. Uh, let let's go here, kind of uh, in ascending order uh, on the main card because they had the unique uh, placement of this fight kicking off the pay per view because Trevor Whitman was going to be cornering Justin Gaethje, Rose Nama Yunus, and Kamaru Usman, which is incredible when you when you look at the uh, the results of those three fights that. He went three and zero, so they gave him a bit of a buffer here with Chandler and Gaethje opening up the pay per view uh, before the two championship fights. So the guy would have I don't know um, an hour to kind of relax and get ready for the the next pair of back to back fights. He had to go out there and corner for ten more rounds after this 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 fight of the decade.
0: Yeah, I mean he needed some time to uh come out of it. Uh the crowd needed some time, the announcers, uh the Twitterverse, uh it, this this fight had everybody buzzing uh from the get-go and after f- <laughs> for for very good reason.
1: So kind of the the context for this lightweight fight is that both had recently, well, in the in their previous fights had their opportunities. At the lightweight championship, Chandler is coming off that loss to Charles Oliveira, while Justin Gaethje has not competed since last October uh, when he was defeated by Khabib Nurmagomedov in what turned out to be Nurmagomedov's retirement fight. So it's been 13 months since we have seen Justin Gaethje compete, and I think everyone had high expectations for this one, and it was basically stated that this is as close to a guarantee of a great fight as you're going to get, save for some completely random injury that would prevent uh this fight from getting going but that was hardly the case they came out and within minutes you knew that this was going to be at 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 worst phil we were going to get a a one-round fight that was going to eclipse nick diaz and paul daly because that's what i was thinking (laughs) because i did not i did not anticipate this one was going to see a second round based on the shots that were landing in this first round it was ungodly the 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 level of damage these two were uh inflicting on one another in these opening five minutes
0: yeah particularly Chandler the way he was throwing every shot as mm-hmm. if this was the last one he's ever gonna throw and he was able to kind of maintain that throughout the fight despite taking incredible damage uh but then you know he started off really well had Looked like Gechi was in all sorts of trouble, yeah. And then, of course, Gechi came back. And I mean, I I can't even imagine you would attempt to describe what happened in this round. Uh, I I kind of threw my hands up at one point. I was like, I'm done making notes, and I can't even score it. I could not score this round. It was too chaotic. I was too into it. Uh, it was it was amazing.
1: Well, I I thought Chandler was uh, he he had I, I thought uh, a. <clears throat> a smart plan in the, in the opening round, because you knew that Gaethje was going to come at him with leg kicks and Chandler had shown uh, an issue with those in the past. So he was getting out of the way, but Gaethje would start targeting the legs. And that's when Chandler, he's throwing those right hands and he is rocking Gaethje with some of these, but he's absorbing these and that, and that can, that can force you to move on to your, your next plan. And Chandler kind of settled in a little, Going to his jab, but then still loading up on it on his right hands, and then Gaethje he starts to load up and he's landing these big shots, and he wobbles Chandler at one. Or sorry, Gaethje gets wobbled by Chandler um, in this exchange, and then it's Gaethje going back to the leg kicks. The crowd gave a standing ovation at the end of the round. It's an incredible round. Um, and it was an incredible fight that was going to see a second. Which, uh, if you had asked me two minutes into this fight, it's like there, there's no way uh, either of these men are making it to a second round. But they would, and they would surprisingly go 15 here. Um, the second round certainly. This was where Gaethje, um understood where what his bread and butter was going to be in this fight. The leg kicks were were very significant. Now I'm curious from your vantage point, Phil, because. The commentary of Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier—they were very, very concerned about the damage to Michael Chandler's leg, and you could see it. Certainly, had the like it, it was certainly uh, affected by these leg kicks. But I did not think it was as crippling as Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier made it out to be for Chandler.
0: Um, it, I guess is it was at different points it seemed to, to to have different effect. Like he he did change his stance at points um i may i i do think maybe they were emphasizing it also the fact that uh chandler had that history when he uh uh, was it brent primus that he was fighting brent
1: primus Uh, at madison square garden
0: oh it was at msg yeah so similar thing that happened and he had to so maybe that was on their mind uh i mean of all the sort of emphasis commentary emphasis that was that wasn't uh, my main complaint tonight but but uh, they were effective and i do think it did impact the fight so i i think it was appropriate to 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 note it and he they, kept going they, at it they
1: played a factor i just i didn't think it was a case of like chandler was fighting here on one leg i think he was still i think he was able still able to, to post on this leg he was firing off and and i and i think if if takedowns were something that he was Looking to initiate, I, I didn't think he canceled out uh, his wrestling based on on this damage. But this was certainly Gaethje's uh, big round in, in the second where uh, he's throwing uppercuts. He's continuing with the leg kicks and uh, he just gets destroyed with these two uppercuts. And Chandler just has to hold on to the single leg to survive. Like he is this close to being done and he's just holding on. And eventually he has let up. And he is able to get to the end of the round. Now, the the end of this uh, round saw an eye poke to Gechi, and the referee Mike Beltron. He does sit, put up his hands for a t. Unfortunately, like it is not visible at all to these fighters. And if the referee is not stepping in, you and Gechi was almost like turning away, expecting to get like the timeout. He did not audibly receive it. So Chandler just rocked him with a shot and that was that was more so on Mike Beltron who I think had to be much more getting right in the middle of that to assess the situation but uh, I thought this was a 10-8 round for Gaethje. it was very close uh, to ending and then the third round um, th- this is where you you can see the 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 damage that has been incurred on on Chandler's leg, Uh, but he's going to the body and there's a big slam by Chandler loses him and gives up his back. And then Chandler's kind of just egging him on and Gaethje cracks him clean. Uh, I did give the third to Gaethje as well. So uh, overall here, I scored this 29, 27 uh, for Justin Gaethje, giving Chandler the first, a 10-8 for Gaethje in the second and the third to Gaethje 10, nine unbelievable fight. If you missed this, this is an this is mandatory. If you ever want to listen to us again, you have to watch this fight or else you just you cannot be part of this club without seeing this fight.
0: I, I would agree and despite my skepticism, you did a fantastic job of recapping that uh, first round, but even with your incredible pros, the don't do that this fight justice. You need to feast your own eyes on these two men in the octagon.
1: Yes, this will undoubtedly be fight of the year. I cannot, I cannot potentially envision. What was
0: Did we have something last week that could have been fight of the year? It feels like every week there's something that's fight yeah, There of was year. nothing at
1: this level on last week's
0: card. No, I mean, there's nothing on this level on any card, really. So, uh, Gaethje
1: got the decision uh, with scores of 30-27 and then 229 28s And he guarantees I'm going to fight the winner. Of Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier, who fight next month, he'll either fight Oliveira in Brazil or Poirier in Louisiana. He doesn't care, but uh, this this will be one angry individual if they call him up to say, "Yeah, Justin, we're uh, we're going with Islam Makhachev." <laughs> yeah, i say. Or, and you, Justin, are going to get Benil Darush
0: <laughs> I I don't think that anybody in the UFC wants wants that decision right now. I, I'm pretty sure they're happy with. The idea of Justin Gaethje taking on, uh, you know, I mean, obviously Poirier's, you know, always got an option with Conor and that's the wild card, unfortunately, but he's right there, man. He he definitely deserves it.
1: Yeah. I, I think you have two great options in Gaethje and Makachev, but to me, I, I would still like to see Makachev have one. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fight.
0: I think he even needs more than one. I think, t- yeah. you know, 2022 is the year of Islam well, of Makachev. And uh, he can, you know, he could have two headliners and then you put him in the title fight at the end of the year. And you put Gaethje in there first. And, you know, who knows what happens in this fight? I mean, it's essentially happening at the you know end of this year. So you can say it's the start of next year. Um, but, uh, yeah, Gaethje, I mean, and the crowd reaction to this guy, man, people love him and rightfully so. So I, I think there's going to be just a lot of interest in, uh, whoever he fights, because he's, oh, he's such a, re- a star. Rematch,
1: like a rematch with Poirier is is big, and Gaethje and Oliveira is sounds incredible as well. So I think I don't think you can go wrong with uh, with, with Justin Gaethje. Um I I he would be my, my my front runner for this next championship fight. For those that well, he fought for the title, new champion, and and I think that he's someone that there's he has done more than enough. I think to. Uh, after after tonight's performance, uh, to earn that that title fight, um, or Benil Dariush could sneak in there, and maybe Dariush will be the one to get the the championship fight. Due.
0: D- Dariush is not going to get Dariush is not going to get the title fight, but he deserves to be put in a big fight that could lead there. So the natural thing is Islam versus Dariush, and then they're next in line after Gechi. How about Michael Chandler? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, you know, uh, top, you know, I, I just mentioned like how much the fans like, uh, Gaethje, like Chandler's made such a big impact in such a short time in the UFC, and then this fight just, you know, launched that to another stratosphere. Uh, you know, he his Dan Hooker win was on the Connor card, so a big set of eyeballs have been on him many times. So I think you put him in a huge fight. You know, you I mean, serious damage here take a long time off for, for um, both of them.
1: Like, yeah, like, seriously, I don't think sometimes ah. we, we celebrate these fights, but at the same time, there is a significant toll that comes out of uh, performances such as this. So it, it could be a while. And with Chandler, um, he, he's 35 years old and that's sort of hitting your upper limit at at lightweight.
0: Yeah, let me. Uh, I'm trying to just sort of s- scoop by the lightweight rankings here. Think about I mean, below. Who.
1: Below them is well, Chandler was five coming into this, and below him, out of the contenders we just discussed, would be RDA, Tony Ferguson, Dan Hooker, Connor, Gregor Gillespie. That's kind of what you're getting into in in the top ten there. Um, so mm, with yeah. Chandler, it's yeah, kind of like the you, you have your contenders of those top four. But beneath Oliveira, and I would say Chandler is definitely out of that, that kind of championship picture now after two losses to two of the key guys that, you know, I think you're looking at someone below, um, below the top five now for Chandler and Chandler probably finds him. I I don't know, actually, if he will drop in in the rankings here, like he he very well could could stay there. It's not as though he's losing to someone beneath him.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And and looking at who's below him, you've got Dos anos who's been inactive, Tony Ferguson, who's lost, uh, uh, you know, plenty in a row, and and Dan Hooker, who he beat. So I I totally see I would favor Chandler
1: against all of those guys, Phil, and uh, with Connor as well. Like, I I would lean Chandler right now against most of these lightweights.
0: Yeah, I mean just sort of going down the list, sort of an interesting name would be uh Raphael Fiziev. He was the um, one I was
1: just looking at right now. It's a yeah. giant jump up for him. Uh, but yeah. they are clearly very high on him as someone with that 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 potential uh on top as are uh Armon Sarukian as well. I think both of yes. those are lightweights to keep your eyes on in 2022.
0: Uh, absolutely. Sarukian is still very very young. Uh, I think the fizzy fight is a little bit more exciting. I think Fizzy's a little bit uh faster track up the title picture. Um, so I think that might be more likely. But if you ask me which is I mean, I I uh, kinda Tony Ferguson is the one that makes sense, I think, because uh he's the biggest name and I think he's like at the end of his deal and so you wanna, you know, hopefully uh, you know, get a win off of him. And look good. So um yeah, I'm not sure, but I think where whatever it is, he'll be featured very prominently. It'll be a big time spot. You know, he'll either be he'll probably be, you know, co-main event of a big card or or on a big, you know, yeah on a big yeah. pay-per-view like he, card again.
1: He is a very established name after these these three fights and the the level of fight that he just put out here with Justin Gagey, like I I see him being in a very in a very strong p- position even even with even if you look at him kind of outside of the championship picture i think it's similar to where we'll probably discuss colby covington where he is kind of out of that championship picture but is still going to be someone that is a featured member of their weight class
0: uh yeah i mean it it's he's in that great spot now where it's not that wins don't matter because he wants to be a champion but he's sort of established himself as one of the most exciting fighters in the division, and that goes a long way. I mean, You look at people like Cowboy, the Diaz brothers, uh, uh, Jorge Masvidal, uh, just the interest in seeing you compete and be in exciting fights uh, can carry you actually a lot further sometimes than wins can in the UFC.
1: I've just gotten a second win because our clock's just reset. So I feel a lot more Ooh. mentally alive at a 1 PM than 2 a.m. Uh, so <laughs> the two most unfortunate guys on this card were Shane Burgos and Billy Quarantilo, who had to follow one of the – seriously, one of the best fights I'm going to say of – I'm not even going to say fight of the decade because what, what does that mean? That's like a fight of like this year essentially so uh i I would call that the fight of the last decade and this decade combined it's certainly to me in that conversation and that's what shane burgos and billy (laughs) porntillo had to follow and these guys had a very good fight as people were noting this would probably be a fight of the night on plenty of fight night cards but it took a while for the crowd to get into this one because they were still just buzzing off the fumes of of the last fight that they had just watched so uh Billy Quarantilo, he had a game plan of just coming out. And while Burgos is certainly the more seasoned striker, he is he is just the more refined striker, he was just going to get... Uh, he was going to overwhelm Burgos with so much volume that he would not allow him to be able to find his timing, to get any kind of rhythm. And I thought that was his key to success in the first round. Uh, so I did give Quarantilo the first But Burgos uh, did put everything together as the fight continued. In the second round, Burgos increased his output by a significant margin. He was starting to land with leg kicks and elbows. And in the final minute, um, each are kind of just landing on one another. And Burgos nearly finishes Corantilo, and it gets saved by the horn. Into the third we go, and Tilo is having issues with his foot, but he still manages a sweep. Uh, it's 33-8 to eight in leg strikes at one point when the stats come up in the favor of Burgos. So that was a big difference maker. And they note that this is the most significant strikes in a UFC featherweight fight uh, by the third round here. Tilo, he fought his ass off in this fight. He fought all the way until the buzzer. Uh, but this, I think the tie really did turn after the first round. And I had Shane Burgos ahead 29-28. But uh, how did you think each performed?
0: I I thought, I mean, you know, both performed in ways that were commendable. I actually gave Burgos all three rounds, even though the first one was close. And even the third one was pretty close. Quarantillo managed to stay in there despite being on one leg and being forced to switch stances. And he managed to, you know, keep it close, make it grindy. But Burgos was just very technical in very tight spots and was ultimately able to land more and more cleaner shots. And I think mm-hmm. those ended up adding up. One thing he did really well is maybe like four or five times, he landed an inside leg kick as uh, Billy Corntillo was stepping in, and it led to him tripping or falling, and uh, it, it was an incredibly effective technique. Uh,
1: separate from that as well is that there was a constant issue of fighters slipping on this mm-hmm. on this mat throughout the yes. night. It just seemed to be a constant and, and and I don't know if it had to do with any of the, the material on the canvas. Like when you put all those logos and stuff on there, like that does sometimes create um, that that issue. But it's, it's not something like those logos are always there. So I don't know what the issue was tonight. But it was pretty pronounced by the time we got to the main event. And there was a, a slip by Colby and they were noting it. And you're starting to remember all the slips on this card. It was very bizarre.
0: Yeah, I've heard uh, actually fighters uh, mentioned before like different – the Octagon will have different materials sl- slightly depending on where they're located. I guess, you know, they get it sourced and printed nearby, and so that, that could have an effect. So maybe that was a uh, cause for all the slips.
1: Uh, this was Burgos's, uh first victory in about uh, two years because he was coming off of losses to Josh Emmett and Edson Barbosa who knocked them out back in May uh, and he was very, very happy about this. He swore a storm uh, with Joe Rogan here in the Octagon afterward as he was uh, basking in his victory. Marlon Chito Vera versus Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar recently turning 40 years old and coming off uh, the most violent knockout of the year, uh, in my estimation, at the hands, or I should say at the knee of Corey Sandhagen back in February. So Frankie Edgar uh, showed up here, and I think everyone saw that, If this was uh, Frankie Edgar finding a way to win, it was going to have to be a very wrestling intensive fight. And in in the opening round, he was able to get the takedown and fend off a guillotine attempt by Vera. Um, But it was Edgar escaping and then getting on top and controlled Vera for the the duration of the round. Uh, So he took round one. In the second, Edgar gets another takedown almost right away, but Vera tries with the up kick he scrambles gets back up and he drilled edgar with a flying knee and edgar was briefly stunned there was another knee in the final seconds at the end i think it was at the end of the second round was it where uh the two are trading words and then vera gives him the middle finger and mm-hmm. this is uh this is very uncharacteristic in a frankie edgar fight but um some heated words here exchanged And then in the third round, Vera's just, I think he had his confidence now at this point that I don't think he was uh, concerned about the wrestling, and he really let his hands go here. There's a left hand that connects, and he throws a kick as Edgar got a quick takedown, but he's right back up, and then it is the front kick from hell that just comes right up the middle and drills Frankie in the chin, and down goes Frankie, and this fight is over at 3.50 of round number three. Marlon Vera, your winner. And for Frankie Edgar, another uh, tough loss, another stoppage loss for him. I think that is three in his last four that have been uh, stoppage losses. Uh, Certainly uh, a lot of questions for Frankie Edgar coming out of this fight. Although, if you paid attention to the video package, he was coming into this fight. Dude, Frankie Edgar, God bless him. He's talking title fights at bantamweight. So you cannot say that his mind is on retirement and I, I am not going to hold my breath that this is going to be it for Frankie Edgar.
0: Uh, no, I would, I wouldn't expect it to be the end and look, he's fighting extremely high level competition and he, he was, you know, he did win the first round. I I gave it to him. Um, but this was the first time that I I do feel like I found that he looked his age because even though he didn't get tired, he did slow down. And that was what allowed Vera to land the big shots and getting close. You know, and typically Frankie would be able to keep up the pace for five rounds and even accelerate towards the end of the fight. But that didn't happen here. And, and the wrestling wasn't even as strong. Even when he was on top, he was eating a lot of shots on, on, uh, some, uh, elbows and up kicks. Um. So, yeah, pretty pretty tough and a brutal, brutal knockout. Again, tough to see all those knockouts in a row. So, if he is going to fight again, which we both suspect he will, step down in competition, take a big break. Um. Yeah, it's sad to see greats kind of end up like that. And, you know, 40 years old, he probably doesn't have a lot more uh, left in the UFC.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a lot of factors uh against Frankie Edgar uh, it had always been discussed of just how undersized he was yet excelled at lightweight and then it was mm-hmm. the move down to featherweight and the move down to bantamweight unfortunately there's just that that kind of trajectory of your age is going up your weight class is going down and these are these are high high speed divisions and and for Frankie Edgar at the age of forty, like they talked about it in the fight. Like this is this is not a division where it's it's designed for 40 year olds. Um Frankie is losing Frankie was number eight coming into this fight in the Bantamweight rankings. Uh, Marlon Vera was number thirteen. So you have to imagine Frankie Edgar is gonna fall down some slots. And I guess you're just looking at if you're Frankie Edgar, um like you are not going to be competing for a championship in this division that houses uh Piotr Jan or i mean any of those upper echelon guys uh would frankie edgar work with a a dominic cruz you can find fights for him the question just becomes if you are frankie edgar what are you fighting for at this point beyond just uh a paycheck and that it's you know probably your your identity as, as a fighter but those are the the difficult questions i think that a frankie edgar has to ask coming out of this fight
0: Yeah. I mean, in a name like Dominic Cruz, in my mind, that's sort of the perfect type of opponent. You know, people, guys who are, you know, sort of on the tail end of their careers, legends, if you will. People who we haven't seen him get the chance to square up against with. um, Not people who are, you know, making their title runs. Um, So that's what I'd like to see. Is that what we're going to see? I don't know. I'm sure he believes he can still be a champion. Cruz is fighting
1: the, next month too yes, on that pay-per-view. Yes. So, I mean, yes, the timing, that's right. um, it would work. But, again, that's that's really going to come down to um, – people will – they will enjoy that fight for what it was or what it is um, two guys, former champions uh, meeting. But uh, to me, it's just – it's a really clear understanding of, you know, where Frankie Edgar stands right now at, at bantamweight.
0: Yeah,
1: Rose Nami Yunus, Zhang Wei Li. This was a significantly longer fight than the first one from this past April, going a minute 18. In that time, Zhang Wei Li has uh, hooked up with Henry Cejudo and his whole team. So uh, a- adding that wrinkle to her game. And in this fight, I thought that Zhang Wei Li had a pretty strong game plan here. Um, Rose Nami Yunus is someone who, especially early, has. Um, Looked look fantastic, um, and this was one where I thought it was Zhang Wei Li who was um, able able to really assess the the timing of, of Rose early on. And when they went to the ground, uh, it was uh, Wei Lee getting on top, and into the second they went, and Zhang was continuing with leg kicks. And there was this left hand that rocks Rose, who gets wobbled, and Zhang gets a takedown. Rose then gets her own in the final thirty seconds, and. It was more so like in the early portion, I thought it was Zhang Li kind of controlling uh, the tempo of this fight. Rose drops her momentarily in the third round and then they were clinching. Uh, Zhang then got executed a takedown and gets the back and ends the round in the mount. Very strong end for, uh, for Zhang. And then in the fourth and fifth, I thought this was where Rose Nami Yunus was able to uh, turn things around for herself. Uh, each are connecting with right hands at the start of the fourth And then John gets the back on the ground uh, with both hooks in, but Rose reverses, gets on top. She moves to half guard and was able to control her for the rest of the round. And the fifth round was similar in the sense that Nama Yunus scored the takedown. Um, She did not have a huge wrestling arsenal in this uh, fight, but she was two for two on her takedowns. And this saw Nama Yunus just stay in her guard and I thought she did enough to win this. I saw enough kind of chatter online about um, the amount of work that Zhang was doing off of her back that I'd be curious to kind of rewatch this round. But I did score it for Nami Yunus. Uh But I had it three rounds to two for Zhang Wei Li. I thought it was a very close fight, and it seemed that the majority scored this for Nami Yunus. Did you did you see this uh, for Rose or for the challenger?
0: I scored it for Rose, but I could definitely see it for uh Wayley. The it was really the the first and the second rounds were kind of the ones that were I thought were the the close ones to score because I agreed that Wayley did control well in the first round uh but it was I found that Rose was the one who actually landed the better combos and she w- she was able to do more off of her back there wasn't really any damage that Whaley did in that round and then in the second round uh which i gave to Lee, you know she started yeah, that was the one uh, where she
1: rocked rose and that was Yes kind of that was it action. so
0: even though rose kind of won the round there was the rock so and then the third round i thought rose won most of that round but then she, uh Lee ended so strong so th- those first three rounds, I actually, they're very, very tight. And then four and five were the ones that were were ultra clear. So I know some people were saying that the 49-46 was crazy. But if you look at it round by round, you could see somebody maybe, you know, edging them here or there. And it just adds up to four. But I, I don't think it would be incorrect in any way if somebody had given this to Zhang Wei Li.
1: Yeah, the scores were red, uh, 48-47, 48-47 uh, in both directions. It was a split decision, and then, yeah, the the score that I think got the most uh, you know scrutiny was the 49-46 for Rose Namajunas, which, I mean, if you want to dissect these rounds, I, I have a real hard time on, I, I would say two and three. It's like, I think you really have to work to make both of those Rose rounds. The first, I can see that one. And then if you're adding four and five, it's, um, I I could go 48, 47 to me. It was like the 49, 46. It was kind of tough for me on two and three. Like, I understand that Nama Yunus certainly had, um, maybe more time in control of those rounds, but this is based on effective striking, effective grappling. And I thought in both like Zhang Wei Li made those, her rounds, um, on, on top of it, but, like, was this close enough? And we're talking about a strawweight division that, I mean, they were even discussing it in commentary. It's not the longest line of challengers. I would say you're looking at, like, Carla Sparza as a potential rematch, who uh, beat Rose Namajunas all those years ago on Tough, and then Marina Rodriguez. Outside of that, like, the idea of Zhang Weili, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that this fight will could, could happen again, and within two years it could happen.
0: I totally agree. I mean, I don't... I How many wins do you think Whaley needs to get? One? None? Like, they, they just had... I mean, the one thing that's going against it is it wasn't the most exciting fight out there. And I think that the crowd was a little bit forgiving of that because of the excitement they had seen throughout the rest of the night. I think on a normal card, uh, they the crowd would be much more nasty. To towards these uh, fighters. So I think that just the fact that it was kind of a lackluster fight might be the only thing that prevents us getting a rematch super soon. But yeah, it's not a deep division. Uh, uh, Zhang Wei Li is extremely popular. Rose is extremely popular. And this was a very close fight. It was very tight. It, it was
1: close. Yeah.
0: So so, again, so
1: I, I had it like 48 47 for, for Zhang Wei Li. But uh, like certainly it's, you know, Rose winning is not some kind of a crazy scorer in in the least so it, it's a division that I think the idea of circling back is not not too far out of the realm of possibility um, but looking at the options um does Carlos Esparza stand out like she does hold a win over Marina Rodriguez and you do have an interesting story here of Sparza beating Rose to become the first strawway champion back in what was it 2014?
0: Yeah, I I look, she deserves it. She she's she's put in the work. Whether that's what the UFC goes with, I mean, the the nice thing was Rose said, you know, she didn't seem to have any injuries and she wants to get back in there. So, you know, so you don't need not every title fight needs to be the most exciting, incredible contest that you can put on. Um so I'm okay with it. Um the storyline of the previous fight, I don't know how much that plays into it because it's so long ago. They're so different now. Rose is so much better. Um, but you know, you put it on another card with another big main event. You know, Rose is pretty popular. I I think it'll draw a fair amount of interest. You have no interest in Carla Sparza. Just just put your cards on the table on this. It, one. I look, I, I I I I wouldn't say I have no interest. It's like I don't have any more interest in Carlos Sparza challenging for the title than you know some of some of these other women other than the fact that I do respect the meritocracy to some degree and she deserves it. Uh but are you asking me if, if you put that on as a main event, am I gonna make sure I'm in front of my TV to see it? Yes. I- <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. on. <laughs> Let's
1: move on to the main event, the rematch: <laughs> Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. The last time they met, it was December of 2019. Uh, if that year had not produced uh, the aforementioned Zhang Wei Li and Joanna Jacek fight, um, that that might have been some people's fight of the year. I did go back and rewatch it this week, and it's a really great fight. It, it is not even in the stratosphere of like. Chandler Gaethje and rewatching it like and not, not even making it th- that comparison but I watch it, it's like it's a good fight but it's like I I don't know if I would look back and if if this had one fight of the year I'd be like okay it's it was a good fight it was even a great fight but was it like an all-timer I'm not gonna go that far
0: Okay, well, I mean, I, you shouldn't be comparing it to Gaethje Chandler because you need to, you know, step away, cool down but, but that's from what I that mean, before
1: like that, you. That fight, two years from now,
0: I will bring yes. up and it'll
1: be like, everyone's like, oh, that fight was incredible. And with Usman Covington, uh, you go back and rewatch it. It was like, it was great on the night. It was a really good fight. Uh, I don't want to like downplay it. Yes, it is. It, it, it it doesn't uh to me two years later it's like okay it was it was was a good fight it helped Uh, that it was close i think that. i I know what you're saying i know what you're saying
0: yes just the action on top and and look there was a lot of heat on that fight there was way more heat than there was on this fight and so all those emotions had a big big part in why that was you know you know and the finish all of it so
1: well this fight went through several twists and turns um we can break this up because the first two rounds this felt like in the uh nearly 2 years since they last fought that Usman has just lapped this guy in terms of uh evolution because this what what was so key to Covington's strategy in the first fight was his his conditioning which is incredible and his just relentlessness he was in Usman's face that whole 25 minutes just piling it on and Usman responding in kind in this in the first two rounds this was Usman dictating everything Covington was hardly giving him a whole lot to deal with and it just seemed like Covington was just uh, significantly more reserved although what we did see in the very beginning of the fight was Colby instantly shooting for the takedown And Usman even getting a brief takedown, uh, which was more takedown attempts than we saw at all in the previous fight. So interesting to see that aspect of things. Um, The second round was highlighted by Usman dropping Colby twice. And had he had some more time, he might have been able to put Covington away. I did think this was a 10-8 round that they uh, discussed later in the fight. And after two rounds, I was thinking, like, wow, this is a significant gap. Uh, but Covington, whether, whatever it was in that second round, he seemed to come out in the third, and he was taking a lot more risk, and that proved to be beneficial to him. He was starting to just throw his hands, and he was landing a, a fair amount on on Usman. He continued to go for this takedown. It almost seemed like he just wants to – the very least he wants to walk away maybe not with the championship but take away that 100% takedown defense of Kamaru Usman and it got into a big debate about whether he got a takedown or not with Daniel Cormier ruling it a takedown but the production truck told Daniel Cormier wasn't a takedown Olympian
0: well I mean it's he it, to it's a takedown in wrestling is not the same as a takedown in MMA. They're different sports. I, there's I, different I, I rules. didn't disagree
1: with the truck, by the way, but Daniel yeah, Cormier was uh
0: I mean, look, yeah. I mean I I'm not arguing with, you know, Olympian former UFC champion of two divisions, Daniel Cormier, but for all my years of or at least I guess recent understanding since the, the modified the rules, you have to establish control. There was no establishment establishing of control. So
1: yeah. So up until this point the the third it I still gave the third to Usman but this was certainly the closest and then in the fourth uh I thought this was certainly Covington's round. He was um he was just landing the the better strikes. He was kind of drawing Usman into just letting his hands go and was creating openings for himself. Um and ended the round big as well with uh, several left hands. So you know, you had the the commentary all over the place on what the scoring could be. It's nine times out of ten, it's it's going to be, Well, it could be even going into this last <laughs> round. Uh, I did not think it was even going into the final round, but maybe some thought it was. And the crowd is, like, chanting for Covington at this point. Usman just stuns him with a jab. But then Colby would use, like, this looping left uppercut combo, and the uppercut was his um his best weapon of this fight and primarily the last three rounds, which is when he was able to use it the most. There was an eye poke to Covington right near the end. And there's this moment where Dan Mergliata, the camera's on him. So it's picking up everything he's speaking about to Covington. And he said, You've got 40 seconds left. So I just don't want you to make something make some mistake. And he goes to say, uh, just don't say, oh, I shouldn't tell you what not to say. And Obviously, what he was going to tell Covington was don't tell the doctor you can't see because then they'll wave off the fight. That's like the <laughs> universal code. But, but Murgley out of here, just like the camera's right on him, picking up all of this as he's giving uh, advice or catching himself giving advice to Covington. Anyway, it didn't really matter. There's 40 seconds to go. Um, I thought Usman did enough to win the fifth, uh, but Covington turned this into a much more entertaining fight based on his output in the final three rounds. And Usman wins by unanimous decision, 49-46, 48-47, 48-47. And uh, my my card was 49-45. I had Usman winning all but the fourth round, and I did go 10-8 in round two. Did you see it closer?
0: I did see it closer. I had it two rounds to two going into the fifth, but I had the round two being a 10-8. So I was... I can certainly Sarah. see
1: three and three and four for, for Covington. Three was so three was close. I thought Usman edged him. The fourth I definitely yeah. saw it's Covington's.
0: Yeah. And then the four and then even the fifth was very close. Yep. I was I was I was really thinking that we could get a draw potential, at least on one card. Um but ultimately Usman won three rounds, even if he got uh because I did give him the third beat. Just because he had slightly sharper shots in that one, I found. Although, you know, happy to be wrong. You know, I was so wrong. I mean, we talked about this a few times. I thought that there was not going to be wrestling in this fight, at least not from Colby. I I didn't think he'd be able to uh, wrestle effectively and it wouldn't help his output. But he did. And it was very useful for him. He was actually the more effective wrestler in this fight. And that was a pretty big surprise.
1: Yeah, I mean the the big what if if you're Colby Covington and his camp is looking at the the performance in the first two rounds, it was you know in that you go back and watch that first fight and it was just from the get go nonstop pressure from Covington and if you mixed in like this guy has unbelievable conditioning uh, that we've seen in the past, mm-hmm. uh, just if you could have pressured him whether it be uh, mixing things up with the wrestling. Um, you know, you you, st- you steal that first round. This becomes a much more interesting series of scorecards at the end of it. Um, I, I just think those two rounds um, ultimately just, you know, you bank those two rounds for Usman, especially with, with a 10-8, and that kind of uh, just, just set the pace. But for the final three rounds, it, it was a different Covington.
0: I think a big part of that is because the strategy was to more counter-striking. And, and Usman was very good early with the straight shots and being precise. And it took a while for Colby to find a rhythm to catch him with. And then, as we saw in three and four, not only did he catch him, but he hurt him. There was uh, more than uh, two or three times where he staggered him. And, you know, as you mentioned, he kind of wobbled him at the end of the fourth round, right? So, um, I I think it was the timing and just uh, being patient and, you know, credit to Colby Covington cuz he was in some deep trouble in this uh second round like it was close to he, he was close to getting put out of there came back strong and a very tough guy
1: yeah and afterwards i mean they 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 had this moment in the cage where they it was pretty much they just both kind of like embraced one another and it just seemed to be Covington kind of turning off the act for 30 seconds and You know, both kind of being complimentary to each other on the microphone afterwards and Covington just saying he's he's not even at his best yet. He's going to be back in the gym on Monday. And for Kamaru Usman, I mean, he just builds his legacy uh, that much greater. I mean, he is now entering into that territory where people are going to be talking about him in terms of his his overall legacy and status in the sport. And this is a division that he has done a pretty remarkable job of shutting down over this past um, year and a half. When you look at the performances against Gilbert Burns, the two against Mosvidal, two against Covington, and you're looking at options of, you know, Leon Edwards is fighting next month against Vidal that I think many will favor Edwards in. Uh, but the the grand question, Phil, that I'm going to throw at you is...
0: Oh, don't, don't. No, no. The answer is no. If you, if
1: you, what is the easier sell for a (laughs) pay-per-view in 2022? Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards or Hamzat in the fast lane ricocheted right up into a championship
0: fight. Oh, I thought you were going to say something even more ridiculous. I thought you were going to say what about if he fights Canelo Alvarez oh, which goodness. is which is what of course you know was the chatter leading up to this week uh which is absurd. Uh no Hamza no no it's Leon Edwards like Hamza he's somebody I, who could be a Leon
1: Edwards is in the position where the UFC will only make that fight if they are literally kicking and screaming to just per- put together a championship fight and they have no other option. Like I could see them going with uh, Vicente Luque was actually the backup fighter for this and okay. missed weight for the backup <laughs> slot. Which is that's interesting. A first. I don't know if you if you hold that as like a strike against the guy or not, but nonetheless he was there in New York to weigh in and he was he did not make the uh the I think it was like one seventy two point two. Uh but, but that's that's what we're looking at at welterweight. I think it's like Leon Edwards is probably your front runner unless Masvidal uh, beats him next month. And then I think there's going to be tremendous... I, I definitely want to see Hamzat in in one more, if not two more, significant fights before he is... For his sake, before he is thrown against a guy like Kamaru Usman. We have not seen Hamzat against a high-level wrestler. And to put him in with Kamaru Usman, it's... Um, I don't know. I, I could certainly though, see from a marketing standpoint of just Dana White just losing his mind looking at a thirty second commercial of highlights of this guy to sell a pay per view.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I no. I I, don't, I think you put him in there with other fights first. I think Islam is much further along into getting uh, a title shot quicker than Hamzat is. Hamzat looks great. But he needs some more fights. And Leon Edwards, I don't think they're that averse to him. I mean, yes, they want big draws in there, and he isn't exactly it. But he was just in a fight with Nate Diaz. It was a high-profile fight. It was – he won. And this fight with Masvidal is a very – Not
1: in the UFC's record books. (laughs) (laughs) Nate finished him in the third round.
0: (laughs) And uh, – and look, the Masvidal fight is a high profile fight, right? It's yeah. got the whole three piece in soda. So he is being featured there. It's not like the UFC is isn't giving him a chance. And they want to go back to England. You know that they want to do that. So it it could make sense. I, I think he will get the title shot if he gets the W. And then, you know, the rest of the division, they can sort it out. Hamzat can beat a bunch of guys. Uh Wonderboy. up versus Wonderboy. I like that one.
1: That's a good fight. I like that fight for for Hamzat next, actually. Um, It's going to be interesting because I I think there's a whole lot of steam behind him uh, and a lot of killers in this division that you are um, putting him up against.
0: Well, that's the other—it's just—it just just feels like there's more meat in this division around the edges that you can give to Hamzat, whereas, uh, you know, someone like Islam— He's just further along against those top guys. So 20, Islam's going to get a title shot next year. Hamza, it's going to be the following year.
1: Uh, Can you see um, a lot of people are going, well, okay, I'll just put this up there. Win or lose next month. uh, Could you see Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal being a fight for 2022?
0: Oh, it has to be. It has because to be. That's I mean, what
1: I those are the kinds of fights that I see Colby Covington getting now. Fights that you can headline or put second from the top that are not going to be championship fights, but are going to be Covington in featured like attraction style fights. And Mosvidal would be the number one pick at this weight class for that kind of a fight.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's just so much built in there. Um, it it makes perfect sense. I mean, look, we were I mean, not to rush the gun because I just you know not to contradict myself, but may, maybe not right away. But Hamzat is a good opponent for Colby, right? That that makes so much sense. So that,
1: that that'll answer the wrestling question of how yeah, Hamzat does against a high level wrestler for sure. Yeah. I guess that's that's the risk in this matchmaking though. Is that okay if Colby comes out and just puts puts this guy on his back for three rounds and takes a decision. What have you done to your division?
0: Well, look, I mean,
1: it, it, you've killed off a contender okay. and you have a guy that is sort of just fr- frozen out of a title situation. Like and that's and that's maybe the argument is that okay, if uh, if that's the performance a Hamzat has against a Covington, then uh you're he, he's not really a contender to begin with.
0: Yeah, look, it's always it's it's, it's you can't. You have to build these guys up somehow. You have to put them on TV where they have to win fights, and then sometimes you can maybe skip one or two. But the guys do have to win. And look, Hamzat's been off for so long, and he just got in there and he barely fought. So he's got plenty of octagon time to show. And uh, even if he loses, it's not the end of the world. It just means he's not this undefeated, unstoppable force. So. Kamaru
1: Usman versus Nate Diaz will be the next championship <laughs> fight is uh, what we've concluded here in his, uh, well, I guess I'll have to figure out well, his contract situation. Well, that's,
0: that's actually, because if you're Usman, what is next for you? Because that well, well, that's, other other than, you know, because even Edwards, he already beat Edwards and it, not as a t- champion, but he already well, if got I, If w. I'm
1: Kamaru Usman, I'm looking at, okay, is Nate Diaz an option you would have to you know this guy would have to commit to a new deal. Uh yeah. number two, seriously, if you're being paid based on points, who's the most attractive challenger outside of Nate Diaz in this division? Um you've beaten Masvidal, and I think that's more of a argument in favor of Hamzad. A relative of a of an opponent that you as Kamaru Usman may see as I have way too many tools for this guy to deal with and who is going to engage the most like fan interest uh for a fight. This or Leon Edwards. Like if you're looking at it from that standpoint, um I could see Usman really campaigning for a give, give me Hamzat. I would I would be more than willing to headline a pay per view with this guy.
0: Uh I think you're overselling Hamzat right now and underselling Edwards right now. Maybe in a year the trajectories are a little bit different and Hamzat I think is, if you is, went to the Discord like, right
1: now put out a poll okay who would who would, <laughs> who would you rather see fight for the championship i think you'd be surprised at how many do you know how much know. buzz there was on hamzat this past I, week I, like I, I am i know alone a lot of, of the people that are and, and listen this is not me saying i would be um campaigning for this title fight for hamzat i'm just saying that we should be looking at the ufc's history of matchmaking and not throwing out the possibility of them uh just skyrocketing the sky while he's hot,
0: he's very hot. He's very popular. And yes, they're going to hot shot him, but I don't see him leapfrogging every single person right now to get a title shot today. It, that, well, it's like that who's defeats, he, that defeats who, who's the purpose. He leapfrogging
1: in the grand scheme of things. He's, he's leapfrogging Leon Edwards.
0: And... He's leapfrogging himself because he's doing himself a disservice. The UFC is doing. Everyone a disservice by doing it right now versus letting him maul a bunch of numbered guys and it being a really big sell.
1: But the argument is that if let's say he got paired with Neil Magny, okay, yeah, Neil Magny just you know your top guys have all the answers for this guy. It's do we just feed this guy to Neil Magny and make nothing versus? Send him to our champion, and at least we get one big pay per view out of this guy. Who is, and we find okay. out if this guy's for real or not.
0: How how big of a pay per view is that? Really, I don't think it's a, that big. Like I, I just, I mean, it's it's entirely driven well, by the UFC right now.
1: Us- Usman and Leon Edwards um, on their own on a pay per view is not bigger.
0: Fair, fair. But it's. I just don't see it as being, like, a, a big difference. It's just however the UFC sells it. Yeah, maybe you can sell Hamzat a little bit better. But it's not like he has a built-in audience. So I, I just uh, – poor Neil Magny. up uh, versus Neil Magny. Let's do it. Okay. They're pulling on that one. It's
1: made. <laughs> uh, let's quickly chat about some of these prelims because uh, – Oh, my. The, there were some, spectac- some spectacular fights on the undercard. Um Headlining the prelims was uh Alex Pereira, who was uh former glory middleweight and light heavyweight champion uh joe rogan uh I wish there was a camera on him because he was he was in his glory just looking at this man and just he was in awe of this man coming to the u f c in his uh in his uh what was this his fifth professional fight uh taking on andreas. Mihalides. And this was not a good first round for uh, Pereira, who was taken down and largely just um, put uh, largely ineffective in this first round. It was not the most exciting round. The crowd started to boo this, uh, but Mihalitas did enough to win this round convincingly uh, by t- taking away this guy's weapons. Unfortunately, each round starts on its feet, and that's what the second round began as. And Pereira just drilled this guy with a flying knee. It was so hard that every single person in this arena left on Saturday night completely forgetting the first round. And just looking at Alec Pereira as the next killer at 185 pounds. What is going in his favor is the fact that while as a kickboxer, he beat Israel Adesanya not once but twice, including by knockout. What is against him though, he is 34. And as I mentioned, he is now four and one as a as a professional in MMA since making the switchover. But Phil, I will say, in this middleweight division, going back to our uh Hamza debate, uh, this guy will get fast tracked if he can just put a handful of wins together. Um, but that said, 34, it's it's like how how much time are you gonna need to kind of grow to what you're hoping for in MMA. This is a little late to be arriving at the UFC and I will say it would purely be based on history and trying to find a unique story for Israel Adesanya if this middleweight division is just totally bare of challengers.
0: Uh I totally agree, definitely getting hot shot. I mean they they were trying to get him into the UFC for a while. You've heard Dana White talk about him publicly um which is not something he does with the guys who aren't in the UFC too often and this was a big it, spot on the like huge prelim
1: in his UFC huge debut spot. and, and he delivered he, right he yeah, delivered this, in a
0: massive way right so this
1: was a highlight reel finish uh, 8 I mean, seconds was, of the second round
0: i think uh joe said something you know uh to the effect of like he makes people go flying or something at the start of uh when he was like describing him Uh, And it sounded ridiculous, but he pretty much did make this dude go flying.
1: He used the word ferocious and monster many, many times (laughs) in the description of uh, Alex Pereira. But, I mean, he's going to be a middleweight that people are going to be engaged in just because of the, like, everyone sees what the, the potential road is. And he is going to, I think, get a lot more... I, again, I just see him totally getting fast tracked because of the age. And if you're talking about Adesanya getting past like Robert Whitaker, this is this is not a deep list of middleweight contenders. That yeah, this guy could find himself. You know, after what, how how many fights? What what is like a a crazy number of fights that it would require? That oh. They would be entertaining this. Like, is it as little as three,
0: including this one? I would assume. Right. So two more.
1: Yeah, like I I personally just on paper, I think this is like uh crazy. But I think Okay. Like, there's a story there and if you don't have uh, okay. anyone like lead so on you on lean on that There's hip. some
0: fights. There's some so there's some people he can put them against. So you had that Luke Rockhold Sean Strickland fight fall apart. So I think you can put them in there with Strickland. Darren Till. Darren Till's a really good choice. Right? I actually think that's probably what they do next
1: you're at least going to find out where this guy stands. If you're going from Andreas Mihalidis to Darren Till, uh, you're, you're going to find out real <laughs> quick where, where this guy stands at, at middleweight. And maybe you just have to figure that out now.
0: Well, I think the idea is that would just essentially be a kickboxing bout, right? Like, it, it, I mean, if Darren Till's smart, he'll, he'll try to take him down. I, I would but not, the, I, the thing- I think
1: like, this is somebody that you go in there with like a heavy or just a semi-competent wrestler. Um, you know, this first round showed, like, that it's going to be a problem for him.
0: I agree. I, I do agree. Is is Darren Till a semi-competent wrestler?
1: He's not going to be, so maybe that is that is good <laughs> matchmaking. Bobby Green and Ragin' Al Iaquinta. Uh, Bobby Green had 10 straight decisions coming into this fight. And, Phil, the streak is over. Uh, Bobby Green was... You know, sometimes his style, it can be frustrating to watch. And then there's times like this when it just seemed everything was on in this fight. Incredible movement. He is just, Iaquinta is throwing and he's just hitting wind. And he drills Iaquinta with a right hand. Iaquinta goes down and Green follows up with strikes for the finish. 225 of the first round. His first stoppage win since beating James Krause in November of 2013.
0: The James Krause?
1: The James Krause.
0: Wow. um, That's a pretty surprising stat because Bobby Green is a pretty good fighter. And he's actually looked really good lately, even though he's had some losses. You know, he had that loss to Fizzy. And he looked great in the third round. And he lost to Tiago Moises. And I thought he looked good there. And uh, as you were saying, today everything was just on point. Like, I mean, he must have landed at like 60, 70% today. Uh, You know, he was talking trash right away like he always does. His hands were low. Al, I don't think, hit him with anything. Uh, Very, very good performance from Bobby Green, who I think is one of the more underrated fighters in the UFC.
1: And was one of the busiest last year. He fought like four times between June and October last year before taking a bit of a break. Um, But this was... A great win for Bobby Green. Uh, Did a nice interview with Joe Rogan afterwards. Uh, Chris Curtis and Phil Haas. Haas was all in control of this fight. Uh, Just precise striking. He was landing sidekicks to the knee. He was the quicker of the two. And then Chris Curtis said, you know what? Left counter. Boom. He rocked Haas. And followed with another knee up the middle. And Hawes goes down and gets finished by hammer fist. This was like whiplash of just how fast this fight turned in favor of Chris Curtis, who stopped Hawes at four twenty seven by knockout in the opening round.
0: yeah, I mean, if you were watching this fight and you were a fan of Phil Hawes, it was going perfectly until it wasn't, and it was over. Um, <laughs> you know like that's the recap. Yeah, I look, Phil Haas looked incredible in this fight for so much of it and then he he took a shot and couldn't recover. Um yeah, no there's not much more to say other than I do want to see him back in there because it was impressive. Um and Chris Curtis, you know, uh he got away with one if you ask me.
1: <laughs> I mean, he's this guy has been fighting since 2009. He had his uh his his time in the PFL and here he goes. Into the UFC with his uh, his win here over Phil Haas. Nasruddin Imavov versus Edmund Shabazian. Uh, Shabazian, uh, a highly touted prospect. Uh, then got, you know, this is kind of going into our discussion. Like he was someone that they saw a lot of potential in. And then he got thrown into a big fight with Derek Brunson. And kind of once you're into the, the deeper end of the pool at middleweight, you're kind of there. And he lost to Brunson then he had a decision loss to Jack Hermanson and during this camp uh, they were noting that he did get uh he did go to AKA for some help on his wrestling and in the first round here uh Shabazian is able to escape several guillotine attempts by Imavov there was also a eye poke here uh it was Imavov's round into the second uh Shabazian who at one point uh was referred to as Tarverdian by Daniel Cormier, mixing up his Edmonds from uh, Glendale, California.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's, yes, the Edmonds uh, all over the place. uh, uh, Our our favorite Edmond, I I think we must say.
1: Uh,
0: Shabazian, he certainly
1: has an immense ability to withstand submissions because he escaped... (laughs) A lot of deep chokes here by Imavov, who just could not believe that he could not submit this guy. Who It was very tight um, that he had this guy with, with a guillotine. Then he sliced, op- he sliced open Shabazian with an elbow strike and moves to a crucifix and just starts raining down elbows until Keith Peterson stopped the fight. Uh, 442 uh, of the second round, Imavov wins by TKO and it's a third consecutive loss for Shabazian who is only 23 years of age which is astounding when you look at this guy who has um competed in the UFC this was his 7th fight in the UFC and he's only 23
0: yeah very young somebody who you know as you mentioned people were very high on got thrust into you know the title picture quickly some very brutal losses uh this one was particularly bad because There was sort of like this lack of fight IQ in in here where I get it. You went to AKA to improve your wrestling because that was a deficiency. But that doesn't mean you're a wrestler now because he was the one who was engaging in all the wrestling. He was the one who was trying to take him down all the time. And I, I just, it was just a big disservice to him. Like it was, I can understand, you know, when they were striking uh i'm a was getting the better of him but he was having his moments and i just think he was just putting himself in, into an uncomfortable position to engage in all that wrestling and ultimately uh it it turned out to be his downfall
1: yeah i thought i thought there were just some errors in judgment in this fight i i'm not gonna write off edmund shabazzian i think he's too young and i I see a lot of, of skills in, in this mm-hmm. fighter. I think it's just kind of finding a way to put it all together. I think he's just, um, I think he's had a lot of information thrown at him and he's dealing with like the first series of setbacks in his career. Like he had not lost any fights up until the Derek Brunson fight. And I think it's just, sometimes you can push guys and you're, going to see them excel and raise their game and sometimes you you hit a brick wall and you have to figure out a way around that so you know his next fight will be of note but uh I'm not ready to just completely write him off yet I just think it's he's kind of had this um this reality check at middleweight of where he stands
0: yeah, absolutely. He's he's very skilled. And as you said, he's 23 years old. There's all the opportunity in the world to grow. And going to AKA and working on your wrestling is the right thing to do. But guess what? It's not going to help you. It's not going to fix all your problems in six months or eight months or however long it was. And it, it shouldn't be there to turn you into a wrestler. It should be there to help you use your best tools. You should defend takedowns, or uh, you know, get up. And n- not to say you can't go for takedowns, but it just—if your strength is striking, the tools should ex- should accentuate that.
1: Well said. Yes, I agree. Uh, and just a few notes from the uh, the fight pass prelims. Uh, Ian Gary, the former Cage Warriors champion, made his UFC debut. He's 23 years of age, and he finished Jordan Williams. Uh, He slipped the left hand, and this right hook just put him out, uh, just landed flush, uh, finishing him with one second to go in the first round. Uh, But equally as impressive was this guy's interview afterwards. Um, He was outstanding. Um, There's going to be a lot of hype on this guy, and he's only 23 years of age, so there's that magic number again.
0: Yeah, a lot of hype uh he did get hit quite a few times early in this uh round but uh by the time he, he he was able to like create some time for himself he used his size and his frame really well in the rest in sort of like the grappling exchanges against the cage and I think that sort of allowed him to reset and then yeah just an incredibly uh timed slip and counter shot speaks incredibly in a way that's very engaging and it's a style that's very exciting. So uh, I definitely think that there's going to be a lot of attention thrust upon him. In his retirement
1: fight, Jean Volante took on Chris Barnett. This was maybe the most uh, insane fight you're going to see. Chris Barnett, who is, he weighed in at 263.8 pounds. Okay. So remember that number. Landed a spinning wheel kick on John <laughs> Vellante and then finished him. Just He was just relentless on his back with follow-up strikes and got the finish at 223 of the second round. His celebration was just doing like a giant like somersault splash onto the canvas. This was um, outside of Chandler and Gaethje. This is your next must-see finish of the night.
0: Definitely, yes. A highlight reel, you know, you never want to end your career as the victim of a highlight reel knockout. But uh, Chris Barnett made a splash in his uh second UFC fight, uh, much better than his first one, the short notice uh scrap against Ben Rothwell. And then
1: rounding out the show, uh, Dustin Jacoby defeated John Allen by unanimous decision, Melsik. Bagdasarian defeated Bruno Souza by unanimous decision. Souza had uh, missed weight by uh, several pounds. He was 148.4 pounds for the featherweight fight. And the opener saw Ode Osborne beat CJ Vergara, who also missed weight for the flyweight fight. Uh, Osborne winning on straight scores of 29-28. And that was UFC 268. A pretty solid card, I would say, Phil, including the fight of the past 11 years.
0: <laughs> yes, a really good card. I mean, going into the main card, and then that first fight was incredible, and then even the follow-up, the Shane Burgos fight was really that good. Was, that was a
1: really great fight that no one's going to talk about. But they they had a very
0: yeah. Good and then you know the the other fights, you know the Usman Covington fight was very good. It wasn't as good as the the first fight, um, but it was still you know extremely high level, and Covington showed a lot of heart and made it uh, pretty dramatic in there. And you know the Zhang Wei Li Rose Norman, Yunus fight. While it wasn't the most exciting, it, you know, high level champions, technical. There was more than enough good stuff on this card, and I think anybody who paid for it uh, felt like they got their money's worth.
1: I think you got your money's worth with the first fight of the pay per view. <laughs>
0: Everything yes. else is
1: bonus. Uh, speaking of bonuses, Phil, I'm going to put you in okay. the hot seat. <laughs> what tough fight one. of the night?
0: <laughs> what guff fight in the night uh Michael- no okay it was uh gay cheek chandler come on come on if I'll ever there the was others. time
1: to to break the fifty thousand dollar scale it was for this fight uh gay and chandler got fifty thousand dollar bonuses for fight of the night and i guess they felt generous because they gave four Ver- performance of the night bonuses
0: vera Pereira.
1: Oh, were you guessing or were you reading? I'm guessing.
0: I'm guessing. Oh, okay. Because
1: those were the first two listed here. Okay. So Alex Pereira.
0: And then I'm going to guess. Throw out your
1: guesses for the other two.
0: Ian Gary and Chris Barnett.
1: Chris Barnett, yes. Instead of Ian Gary, it was Bobby
0: Green. You gave it to Kurt. Okay. That's fine. Bobby Green can can use the cash.
1: So there you have it, everybody. Uh, UFC 268 in the books. And just looking ahead here before we sign off. So... Next weekend, Max Holloway is taking on Yair Rodriguez.
0: That's great. A a decent fight night.
1: That's a really great card. uh, A great main event for a free card. The following weekend, November 20th, has uh, the delayed Misha uh, Tate-Ketlin Vieta fight. December 4th, Jose Aldo versus Rob Font. And then UFC 269. This card, when they showed it on this screen tonight. So... Charles Oliveira and Dustin Poirier is your main event for the lightweight championship. Amanda Nunez defends the bantamweight title against Juliana Pena. Leon Edwards fighting for everybody's respect versus Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt versus Kai Cara France. Holly Piva, Raleigh Piva versus Sean O'Malley. Jeff Neal versus Santiago Ponzanibio. Dominic Cruz. Dude, I'm like seven fights deep here and I'm getting the Dominic Cruz versus Pedro Munoz. Um, and then some other ones, uh, including your your main event, Phil Ryan Hall, in action against Derek Derek Minner.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a big step down for uh, Ryan Hall. So uh, that tells you what the UFC is uh, sort of thinking uh, for him. Um, but yeah, a really good pay per view. This will be the last one of the year. No New Year's Eve pay per view this time. Um,
1: no, they, they finish with this one. They have, a, they have a fight night card, December 18th, but then they're not back on pay-per-view until uh, 270 on January 22nd that has Francis Ngannou and Cyril gone.
0: Well, that that's pretty exciting. I mean, now if, we if can ever, finally if settle. If there was a
1: chance for me to get my most desired headline for one of Eric Marcotte's reports,
0: <laughs>
1: gone, gone in 60 seconds, it's this fight that Francis Ngannou could produce this.
0: I think I'm going to I think that Mr. Eric believes that Gone is going to be the winner.
1: Uh I I could see Gone winning this fight. That's a, that's a very good heavyweight title fight.
0: Yeah, it's it's a it's it's like it's either is Gone going to get touched by Nganu or is he going to be able to be technical, stay on the outside and just, yeah, beat him with technique.
1: And that has the rematch between Brandon Moreno and Davison Figueiredo as well. We of ourselves to January
0: yeah um pretty good i mean it it, i'm still a little bit you know after the last fight was so dominating uh, i'm a little bit unsure but you know the first one was really exciting and uh it's not like there's a ton of options there in the division so i'm cool with it
1: all right everybody well there you go that is our whole report on ufc 268 phil i want to thank you very much it's uh It's now the old three in the morning. uh, So it's only 2 a.m. now.
0: Um, Well, I feel like I can go another hour. uh, I can't. So
1: uh, we're going to sign off and say goodbye to everybody. uh, But thank you so much for tuning in live. We are here after every UFC pay-per-view. So subscribe to the channel, youtube.com slash post-wrestling. Tell Phil what a great job he does for not just the pay-per-views, but every single fight night card, manning the discord. He's a he's a champion here at Post Wrestling.
0: Well, thank you, John. Uh, I want it was actually very popular in the Discord today. We had a ton of people stopping in for the fights, and really need to give more of a shout out to Mr. Eric Marcotte because Mr. Eric Marcotte is doing actually much more of the managing of the Discord on the fight nights, always putting up the fight polls. Um, so, thank you to Eric and everybody else who comes in and joins and shares your thoughts and musings and lets us know how much you dislike Joe Rogan. You're all welcome. Thank you. Come. come. And if you do like Joe Rogan, you're welcome too. come. You're all welcome.
1: Hey, last thing. Did you, did you get to watch any of the, uh, the Canelo Caleb plant fight?
0: No, I, cause it was on. So they
1: did, they did not avoid each other yeah, this time
0: around. So, uh, I didn't realize last week. Um, but this one, uh, was not on the zone. So when, when, uh, I was co-watching during the show. It was on DAZN, which I had already ordered, so I didn't have to pay any extra. So this was on pay-per-view, and I couldn't watch it live, so I didn't buy it. But uh, I'm going to watch it later. I'm going to, yeah. I, I know what happened. Um, you know, Nalo got the KO in the 11, and uh, looking forward to seeing how it went down. All right.
1: Well, thank you as always, Phil. That is it for us. Thank you for listening and watching our UFC 268 post show.